There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. You know, I've spent over four decades working in the game, fortunate enough to meet some of the legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watched them shine in the game, and now they've moved on to life after hockey. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to do today. Today's NHL legend, a four-time Stanley Cup champion, scored the OT winner to lock up the first cup in New York Islander franchise history, one of the last guys to play without a helmet in the NHL. Mr. <laughs> Islander himself, Bobby Dystra. Bobby, welcome to the show. Great to see you again. Likewise, likewise. It's good to be on. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering, wings, or pizza, in your ear, right now. For just $11.99, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. So I, I know you're spending a lot of time on Long Island. I mean, obviously, your entire career there, your whole 14 NHL seasons, and then spent a lot of time there working uh, in the organization. But you're not right now, as we're chatting, on Long Island. Where are you, and what are you up to right now? Well, I'm actually sitting in my little office in uh, Boca Raton. Uh, I've been uh, down here for, for a while. Uh, unfortunately, I came down to visit one of my teammates who's in the hospital and oh. not doing all that great, Jerry Hart. And um, But uh, I spend a fair amount of time down here. I can work out of my office because we got Zoom. And uh, I go back and forth to New York. I still have an office in, in, the, in Huntington. Oh, that's awesome. It's uh, well, we, please pass on our best to Jerry. And, and yeah, know, no, I will definitely. Tough I, battle. Yeah, no question. It, um, it's, it's always interesting because whenever we get to Stanley Cup playoff time, you always look at players who take their game to another level when, when it matters the most. And it's something that hockey fans never forget. In baseball, they call it Mr. October. In the NHL, uh, they call it Mr. Clutch. And that was a nickname you picked up as Mr. Clutch. <laughs> You were pro- you were there. I'm not going to say probably. You were you were a part of the single biggest goal in New York Islander franchise history. May 24th, 1980, um, Stanley Cup Final, Game Six versus the Philadelphia Flyers. For those who don't know the story, walk us through that, Bob. Well, it's so funny because um, John Tonelli and I had practiced this every day in practice. You know. And- crisscrossing and trying to get someone to bite and uh, it never worked against our defenseman, but uh, it worked perfectly that day. Um, you know, basically I, I went into the, the, the offensive zone and the puck started to come out and Lauren Henning was carrying the puck and he passed it over to John Tonelli, who was on the opposite side. He was on the right side and a left-handed shot. And so I got Bob Daly to bite. He, he bit on, you know, when John went over to the right side, 
Daly kind of went with him, and I ducked in behind Daly and just broke in for to the net. And Tonelli just laid a perfect pass on my stick. I, I, I deflected it with my backhand, for heaven's sakes. And when we, I saw it go into the net, I, I said, oh, my God, thank God this is over. <laughs> <laughs> but but the feeling that, that, like, I mean, it gives me tingles in the back of my spine right now because the feeling is you go from a guy who's a hockey player, uh, a lunch bucket type guy. I'm going to talk to you about that in a few moments because that's how you always like to refer to yourself, uh, to a Stanley Cup champion. The first yeah. Stanley Cup in the, fran- the organization's history the first Stanley Cup for you, uh, like, I mean, all of that stuff happens in one second. And if it doesn't happen, you never know how it turns out. Maybe you don't win that cup. Maybe you don't win four straight following that. Like, walk me through the emotion, the waves that must have hit you at that moment. It it was just incredible. Uh, I mean, we certainly didn't want to go back into Philadelphia. Um, but I, I remember sitting in the locker and, and I actually was in the, the back room and uh, I went to the, uh, the medical office and, and I, I grabbed a scalpel and I carved a notch in my stick signifying that I was going to score the goal, right? And after it went in, it was just like everybody was on top of me. And I, I, I got the film over where all the guys are coming in and they're congratulating me just to the side of the net. But more than anything else, it's one of the hardest things to do in sports is to win the Stanley Cup. And just to know that second that it was over and we had won the Stanley Cup, something that we wanted to do from the time we were five years old. You know, we, yeah. we won the cup. And it was just such a big thrill for us, for the fans, everybody. And it's crazy because 43 years later, I don't know if you, you, I mean, you know, the time of the goal, it was seven 11. And yeah. I appreciate the fact that you've made our show, the seven 11 overtime. Podcast. I, I, I appreciate I noticed it. That when you got on. <laughs> hey, thank you very much. <laughs> there you go. Uh, when I think, when I think of the organization, actually, I've been lucky enough on this podcast. We've already spoken to Danny Pavan, Brian Trottier on this show. The number of Hall of Famers you had in that organization were there for, for that four straight. Pavan, Trottier, Mike Bossy, Clark Gillies, Billy Smith, even Al Arbor in the builders yeah. category, manager Bill Torrey. Did you did you understand as I mean you did obviously by year four when you had done it four times, but did you understand in the midst of that what was actually happening and what was being built around you guys? You know, not not really. I mean, the the, the thing that uh, we thought of, you know, okay, we won the Stanley Cup, but let's win another one, and and yeah. let's not just you know fade off and and be happy with that. And you know, needless to say, Al Arbor was a, a driving force. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he always got the guys ready. He was a philosopher. He was a sometimes a psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> But more than anything else, it, it was just the, the want to win. And we had a group of guys that we forgot about the first one when we were going for the second one. And vice, you know, it, it just went on like that. Um, I don't think it's ever going to be done again. It's just mm-hmm. so difficult in the NHL right now. These kids are just yeah. incredible players. And I just don't think that one team can dominate, uh, you know, year in and year out. And it's interesting, you know, because some people say the timing was right or the scenario was right, but 
it was it went way beyond that because you guys won your fourth one against Gretzky. I mean, you yeah, the greatest yeah. player in the history of the game is there challenging you guys trying to get between you and winning your fourth cup. Was there added significance that in that fourth one that you were able to do it against one of the greatest game? Well, maybe the, the greatest player in the history of the game. Yeah, oh, it definitely. I mean, we are. I think that that was one of the best cups because we held Edmonton, one of the best teams ever. Uh, we held them to, I think it was six goals in, in that whole series. And that was a tribute to Al because he always wanted us to be defensively, mm. you know, like thinking about the defense, you know, rather than the offense. And I think that that was a credit to him and his system uh, because Unfortunately, they learned a lot from that series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they came back and they beat us the next the year. The next but year, yeah. They finally came to the realization that, that, that there's a certain amount of sacrifice and pain uh, that, that, that you have to put in, a, you know, in order to win win a cup. And I, I get a kick out of the quote that Gretzky, where, where he saw us, you know, in the locker room and we weren't really celebrating. We were ice bags all over and yeah. guys were hurt and you know, they, they, they finally decided that, hey, we, we maybe have to change our way and, 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 and be a little bit more deliberate and, and you know, going after the Stanley Cup. In conversation with Bobby Nystrom, one of the greatest uh, New York Islanders of all time, four-time Stanley Cup champion. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. Um, I slid by Clark Gillies uh, briefly there, but I want to come back and revisit him. Uh, we lost him in January 2022, cancer, just 67 years old. You were very, very close to Clark. That must have been a, a big loss for you personally. It's one of the hardest things, and I, I hate to even talk about it because I get uh, so emotional about it. He, he, he was just one of the most amazing guys that you could ever meet. Um, you know, not only from a hockey standpoint, he protected Bossy and Trache and, and did so much for the team, but, you know, his off-ice was absolutely incredible. All he wanted to do was help people. And I always said, I always asked him when I, I saw him, I, Clark, do you ever sleep at night? Because every time there was a charity, he was at it. And he also was very, very emotional. We, we would always take a bet on, on him or John Schmidt, who would cry at, at, at any of these charity uh, events. Yeah. Um, and I always told Clark, you know, he had such a personality. He could tell jokes. He could, you know, play golf. He could do all these things. And I said to him, I said, if I had your personality, I'd be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I he, was he, very, he was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, this sits on my. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. For those of you listening and not watching, he's got a, a great picture of Clark Gillies right beside his yeah, desk. That's right awesome, Bobby. To remind me of him and what a great guy he was. We were roommates yeah. for the longest time. Yeah. Uh, super, super guy. Got to spend a lot of time with him. I was fortunate enough during his uh, Hall of Fame induction weekend. I got to, you know, we got to do the fan forum together. And right, um, right. like, I mean, everybody loves going to the Hockey Hall of Fame, obviously, but he was so unbelievably appreciative yeah. and just I'm kept still thanking paying everybody. Them. Still paying them, and I still haven't gotten in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you hang in there, man. With all that you accomplished, you certainly deserve it. I'll tell you that. Uh, I'm, there's, a, there's a funny story of, of, uh, and you're a thinking man. I mean, we always think of you 
as, as a hardworking guy doing whatever it takes, the power skating lessons you took to elevate your game and stuff. But you're also a thinker. And, I, and there was a time where you were coming up against Terry O'Reilly and the Big Bad Bruins where you sat down and had a conversation with Clark Gillies about how to strategize against these guys. Walk us through that. Oh, yeah, we were laying in our, our room in, uh, in Boston, right? And the, the sportscaster got on and he said, oh, there's no, the, the Islanders are going to get blown out in five games. They're just not tough. The, the Boston Bruins are going to intimidate them, right? And I blew a gasket at that. I almost threw the TV out. And, and, and I said, Clark, we got to do it. I, I said, I'll take Winsick, you take O'Reilly, and we got to fight them both. And that's exactly what happened. We had a huge brawl in that game. And I think we set the tone that, hey, you're not going to bully us. And I think that that was a big part of winning that series. But I, I, I almost went into the TV. I wanted to grab that sports cast. <laughs> Listen, I haven't been in sports broadcasting myself for 40 years. There's many a time where I know guys have wanted to grab me by the throat. So thank you for not doing that and just making back to the television. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, something we should point out. Um, you were there, like you were one of the last guys in the history of the NHL to play without a helmet. As that, like, for those who don't know, who don't go that far back, when the NHL brought mandatory helmets into the league, it was a grandfathered rule. So players had the option to wear the helmet, and players who weren't wearing the helmet when the rule changed could play as long as they did. Walk me through the decision-making process for you and, and how difficult that was to make that transition and why you waited so long. What, what's your name again? <laughs> <laughs> Well played. Well, I mean, I oh, should stand up you, comic. Well you know played. What? Uh, needless to say, I, I think it was a decision I made. And, and, and you know, like I'm, I'm probably, you know, paying the price for it a little bit because, you know, my memory and things like that. But, um, you know, that was kind of my stick. You know what I mean? It, it, it was something that I did. Uh, would I do it again? Probably not. But, um, you know what I did it, that, that really, you know, got the fans is I used to have a lot of hair. You had the big flow. Yeah. And so I just used to hairspray it back like this. So it looked <laughs> like I was going fast. <laughs> well played. So, but but I, I, my son played and needless to say, he had a you know, shield and a, and, and yeah. a helmet. And I would have to say that I, I did pay the price for it. Yeah. I'm going to tell you one about, story though. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, one, for one sure. Story. I'm in practice. We're doing two on ones, and so the one of the guys came over and crossed the line. And I just gotten married that year, and he he knocked, he knocked me on the back of my head, and I was out cold, right? So I went into the locker room, and they laid me on the table, and they asked me, you know, what's your name? And I said Bob Nystrom, and I and uh, how old are you? And and what day is it? And so I was able to answer those, and they said, uh, what's your wife's name? And I said, oh, I'm not married. <laughs> <laughs> she almost killed me after she heard that. <laughs> You're funny. I didn't realize you had this all on the side of your personality. Hey, you brought up your name. So let me talk about your name. I remember your nickname, or I thought it was your nickname during your playing days. One of your nicknames, you were called Mr. Clutch, Mr. Islander. You also had the nickname Thor sometimes. What I didn't realize, that was actually your real name. Walk it, us through that. Was. I, I can't even explain that because my real name is Thor Robert Nystrom. 
And so when we moved from Sweden, you know, I was like four years old. And, uh, you know, my parents, for just some reason, like we, we stayed with the family, you know, one of the relatives, and, and their son's name was Bob, right? Yeah. And they, they, they started calling me Little Bob and Big Bob, you know. But I, I never went back to Thor. And I'm really sorry for that because it would have been a great name for a hockey player. No kidding, especially with your style of play. It would have worked out perfectly. Oh, man, I, I, I regret that. I, I really do. But, you know, I have the biggest problem, you know, because I normally write, you know, Bob Nystrom and, and all my documents, you know, like with, you know, legal documents and stuff like that. It's Thor Robert. And so I have such a problem with the IRS and all these people. But uh, I wish I would have stayed with Thor. I know. It's just, it's just, it's elegant. There's no doubt about that. That, that but I, it was funny because after all these years, I, I didn't realize that was actually your real name. Which yeah, very, a lot of people cool. don't. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't. Well, you, you briefly skirted on that. We should mention the fact that you were indeed born in Sweden. Your family moved to a small town, Alberta, population 10,000 when you were four. So that's why most of us don't know that. But because you were born in Sweden, you're actually part of hockey history again. Not only did you score the overtime winner for the first Stanley Cup in New York Islanders franchise history, you were first, you're part of the first Stanley Cup champion team that had three Euros on it. Yeah, yeah. Tell That's, me, what, what does that mean to you there? Well, you know, you know, the thing is that they were a big part of it, Stefan and, and, and certainly Tommy Johnson. I mean, they, they were a great addition to the team. I mean, everybody really started at that time to bring in Europeans a little bit yeah. more. Uh, check uh, and and the league now is I mean just a whole host huge of percentage of yeah. yeah yeah but uh, you know I, I think of those two guys primarily they, they really were a big help to the team uh, Steph was just a well he played with Denny most of the time and yeah. so yeah. he covered up for Denny you know r- rushing and things like that but Tommy Johnson also was a, a real skilled player and, and not that big but. Uh, he, he played very well for us. It's many years after the fact now, so you can tell us the story behind this. We had always heard talk about the salty dog celebrations. <laughs> <laughs> and as part of the Islander lore, what can you tell us about it now, 40-something years later? Well, I have to say that, that I, I met my, my wife when she was 17 years old, and, and that's the only place I could get her into and, and, and have her drink. <laughs> but it, it was right across the street from the uh, the Coliseum, and it was just a favorite hangout of ours. Uh, most of the guys, either there or Dr. Generosities, we, we, we stuck to these, you know, uh, places, and after every game, we'd be in there, and, and uh, it was just awesome. The, the, the fans here, they treated us like gold. Yeah. They really did. They were just so good to the team. We'd go out and have dinner, and, and, and all of a sudden, the bill would come, and, and they'd say, this gentleman over here paid for you. You know, I mean, they were just so gracious. And, and needless to say, they were pretty loud in our building as well. <laughs> what was that like? I mean, you couldn't go anywhere. You spent your entire p- career playing for the honors, and they're rabid fans. And this was an organization that didn't even exist when you were drafted. So we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But to see the rise of that and the rally of the fans around you, 
there's no way you could have walked anywhere on the streets and not be recognized, especially since you're not wearing a helmet and you got the ultimate hockey flow. Yeah. No, you know what? It was absolutely incredible. I, I, I went down to sign. First of all, I was working during the summer. I was working for a roofing company. And so I went to the bar after, you know, and we were having a couple of beers and, and all of a sudden the page came on and it says, Bob Nystrom, please come to the telephone. Bob Nystrom, please. And I'm thinking, who the heck is it? And, and so I pick up the phone and it's my dad. He says, Bob, it was drafting. Bob, you got drafted by the New York Islanders. And I'm saying to myself, who the hell are the New York Islanders? It was their first year, right? And I'm saying to myself, oh, shit, I'm going to have to buy a gun. I'm going to New York. (laughs) (laughs) And so what I did realize, I thought we were going to the city, you know, like in the city. And uh, I came to Long Island, and it was just absolutely fantastic. I spent the whole summer here after I signed my contract. And beaches, I mean, it's just an incredible place to live. Uh, and and the fans, as you said, they, they they just they treated us so so well. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the Seven Now delivery app, and Seven Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, "Fuel me up, Sev." You know the crave I'm talking about—the one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.99, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. You mentioned Jerry Howard. I want to get back to him now and, and his battles with, with sickness right now. Can you tell us a story about the first time you drove to camp, to Islander? To, oh, Jerry, to oh, Jerry, camp. Jerry Howard. Yeah. G- Gary Howard, yeah. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about your 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 trip down and the things you felt like you had to do in order to be ready. Okay. Um, well, first of all, he had a Dodge Duster and he wouldn't let me drive, so I sit in the side of the you know and passenger side. I'd read him comics, I'd read him books, I'd read him anything because we we're going to drive all the way down, yeah. you know, pretty much straight. But he and I were were roommates, you know, like he actually lived with me over in in Westbury. And so all he wanted to do was wrestle. Come on, let's wrestle. Let's wrestle. And so when we first got down here, uh, we went to the Syosa Sports Center and we bought headgear and boxing gloves, right? And so we have an apartment over in, in Westbury and the ground behind the, the, the apartment was like this, right? So I always had to be on the low side and he'd have to be on the high side. And we'd be out there in the middle of the day with boxing gloves and headgear on, fighting. And so one day he charged me, and I, I ended up, I fell backwards on a sprinkler head, almost punctured my back. Oh, man. <laughs> so we decided we're, we weren't going to do that anymore. But that's, he was one of the toughest little guys that you could ever imagine. But doing everything you had to do in order to play in the game yeah. of hockey. That was, yeah. that was, I mean, that was a thing that, to your credit, People just said he was tough when he needed to be tough. Uh, he worked on his skating. You worked on your power skating because you felt like you were a little deficient in your skating there. And yet you were you were Mr. Clutch. I mean, you developed the name for a reason in Mr. Clutch. You had 39 goals, 83 points, and 157 playoff games, which yeah. was way above your goals and points per game average 
in the regular season. What was it about the biggest moments that brought out the best in you personally? Al Arbor. Hmm. He said something to me that I, I, I quote him on all the time, and it, it really hit me. You know, he says, I mean, he was a psychologist, first of all, but he, he yeah. said to the guys, he says, who would you rather be? The guy that's on his heels, backing up, worried about the fact that he's going to make a mistake, or the guy that's on his toes, attacking, 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 and knows that he's going to score the winning goal. And that, it, everything in life is that. And so I, I would have to say that that was had one of the biggest and best impacts on my life. And you ended up scoring four overtime winners in the playoffs, yeah. which yeah. is crazy. So, I just felt that I was going to get it. I, I, I was going to get it. And then, uh, you know, I talked about that carving the notch in my stick. Hold on one second. Well, for those of you listening and not seeing it, Bobby, I got a feeling has got the stick. Don't tell me you've got the stick leaning against the wall that you won the 1980s. It's just sitting against the wall. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's I sitting with a few of the other trophies, but here's the notch right in the stick right, right there. So you put that notch in, just to clarify, you put that notch in the stick telling yourself, I am going to score the game winner in the Stanley absolutely. Cup final. Yeah, absolutely. I was sitting in, uh, I went in and got a scalpel and and I uh, was sitting in the back room and I just carved it in there and I said, I'm going to get it. If you are a member of Bob Nystrom's family, by the way, we're in conversation with four-time Stanley Cup champion Bob Nystrom, one of the great all-time Islanders uh this is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. If you're a buddy of Bob's or a family member of Bob's, please go over to his house, pick up that stick, and get it framed for him so it's in some form of protection with a plaque because that is hockey lore. How do you just have that <laughs> sitting in your office yeah. against the wall? Well, you know what? It, it reminds me of... It should be in the of- Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get it in the Hall of Fame, actually, but... You can see, I mean, it's 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 still got the same tape on it. <laughs> All the meticulous tape jobs, guy. You tell me, you never used the stick after you scored that goal. You put it away. Right? I never did. I okay, never good. did. Good. Yeah, that's a relief. Hey, you mentioned Al Arbor, and and he did something very special. I mean, he I'm sure he did a lot of great special things during your career. But something I thought was very very special, and it starts out as kind of a sad story. It was the eighty five eighty six season. Uh, January of uh, 85, 86, Gerald Diddick during practice, his stick got up and oh. it caught you in the eye. Walk us through. I mean, this is a happy ending in the end, but this was a difficult moment. Walk us through what happened there and, and what that ended up happening with you. With it. Well, you, you know, it, it, we always wanted to play keep away, you know, like after you know, practice and, and uh, Gerald and I were out there and I, I was actually nursing a, a, a bad ankle and, you know, two seconds before it happened, I said, get off the ice. You just, you know. And so he we he, he was stick handling it, and he put the puck through my legs and went to lift his stick over top, mm-hmm. and he caught me in my left eye right up top here. Yeah. And so I knew right as, as soon as he hit me that I, I was cooked, you know, and I ran yeah. into, the, um, into the dressing room, and I pried my eye open like this, and it was – dark you know and uh, the, the the thing that i feel worst about is that he took it so hard 
Mm-hmm. You know, at that time, truthfully, I, I, I wanted to retire. I, I didn't mm-hmm. want to fight anymore. I, I just wasn't really. So it was a blessing, really. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, I heard Gerald had some tough times, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of it was because of that. But for me, it, it, it worked out fine. I, I, I had trouble, you know, with my eye for a long time. I actually couldn't see. And then they developed a, a thing called the Sioni ring and, and they put it in my eye and they yeah. were able to drop a lens in. So I got my vision back. Oh, that's awesome. Really, yeah. Yeah. So now I'm having a little bit of trouble, but uh, they're not going to do anything until you know, it falls yeah. and, and they'll put in a new lens. But as you so, say, you were ready. Yeah. No, I was. I, I, yeah. I just didn't want to play anymore. Yeah. yeah. And, but there was something brings it back to Al Arbor now. So you're sitting on 899 career oh, games. Yeah. You're, and the, the magic number 900, you're just one game away. You had already decided you're going to retire. And then Al Arbor does something very special for you. Tell us about that. Yeah. It, it was so special. And, and this is the way that Al was. So, I mean, he, he, he thought of everything. Uh, I mean, he could make a speech from something he saw driving to the rink and, so he asked me to come out and play, you know, or take a shift and, and get your 900th game. And I swear to God, I was just terrified. <laughs> you know, I, I had the opening face off and, and I'm saying, oh, what if I, you know, and, but to get that 900 was really absolutely fantastic. And the but, crowd was insane. Oh my God. They were just so good. So good. Bobby, Bobby. So it, it was a treat, and, and, and needless to say, it, it, it was a gift from, from Al. Yeah. So you spent your full 14 seasons with the Islanders from 72 to 1986. That included that four consecutive Stanley Cup run. Um, you were so much appreciated by the organization that you ended up spending a lot of time in the organization at a number of different levels. Yeah. But I would think one of the, the biggest moments of pride was when you found out that they were going to hand out the Bob Nystrom Award in your honor. Yeah, yeah that, that, that also is a tribute. And, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of guys on, on teams that, you know, aren't, aren't a star, but very important. And, yeah. you know, what we tried to do with that uh, award is, is to, to, to give it to the person that or the player that has you know, is constantly working to improve themselves. You know, they, they work hard, they play hard, and and maybe they don't get the recognition, you know, like of a bossy or a Gillies or anyone like that. So it, it was a tribute to me in the fact that I, I think that I was a, a journeyman player and uh, we wanted to just give someone a, a, an award for, for their personality, their work, you know, it, it, it was really a, a nice tribute. And the organization continues to hand that out since 1991. They hand it out every year and it's, yeah. it's a real moment of pride and it keeps people's memories of what, what you brought to the organization. And then, yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty special for you and your family, I would think. Yeah. Well, one of the things about hockey is it's a team sport and, yeah. and you know, there's, Penalty killers that oftentimes don't get out, uh, you know, more than two or three times. But it takes everybody to to win. Yeah. And I I think that uh, you know you, you have to recognize those people, 
Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, that that's one of the things that Al always, you know, did. He, he, he would come in at times and, and he would just be raped, you know, one of the stars. Yeah. And, and that would make us feel, the, the, the guys that are journeymen and, and workers, and it made us feel so much better because, hey, he's going after, you know, the, the star of the team. And, you know, I, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. Um, he, he just had a, had a way about him. I mean, he, yeah. he had to be one of the most incredible coaches that I've, well, he taught me more about life too, but he, he was amazing. Yeah. You mentioned your great teammates. That's perfect segue. Uh, I want to play a game with you. We call five fast facts. I'm going to ask you some quick questions and then okay. you'll give me the fast fact that relates. To oh, okay. You're hey, ready to play? You're talking to a guy that has no memory. <laughs> okay. No, no, I'm sure. I, I won't ask you tough ones. Okay. okay. Uh, you play, number one, you play with a number of Hall of Famers. We mentioned them. Who's the single best teammate you ever played with and why? Doesn't have to be talent-wise, just the best teammate. Clark, you know, he, he was just a guy that kept the, uh, kept the guys loose. He was always screwed around on the plane, you know, with shaving cream on the head. And, and, and so he kept it loose when he had to get serious, he got serious. And he was the guy that always organized all these different events to take the guys out, you know, be together, you know, really get to, to, to know each other. So it's definitely him. Second on the list, Gary Howard. All right, <laughs> fair enough. He, yeah, just a tough little mother that, uh, <laughs> you know, really showed people that he, he said he was five foot nine. He was five, eight and a half. <laughs> and he would fight anybody, you know, if they, you know, took advantage of one of their players. You won four straight cups from 80 to 83. Which one was the most significant to you personally? The fourth one, uh, and needless to say, it's always great to score the first one and to mm -hmm. score the goal. But on the fourth one, just the fact that we they, we only gave up six goals, and I'm going to tell you a story about the end of the game. John Tonelli and I are out, and 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 we were with Wayne Merrick, right? And so it's a last minute of play, and they're down, and they're trying to tie it up. And so Kenny Morrow got the puck and he started breaking out. And John Tonelli and I are just screaming at him, give us the puck, right? So he skates calmly over the, the red line, shoots the puck and, and goes into the net. And all of us got together in a, in a bunch. And, and Kenny Morrow says, I love you guys. I love you guys. Oh, <laughs> it was <that's> unbelievable. <laughs> But to, to beat Edmonton, you know, and, and give them up that few goals was really a tribute to Al. That's awesome. Uh, you were one of the last guys I mentioned to wear a helmet in the NHL. Who gave you the most grief about waiting? My wife. <laughs> That's understandable. <laughs> it is understandable seeing as I forgot I got married that year. <laughs> uh, fourthly, what was your favorite city apart from home? to play in and why I would say Toronto wow. you know I, I was a huge Toronto Maple Leaf fan uh, when I was growing up my, my sister was a Montreal fan so I hated her but <laughs> yeah I would have to say Toronto the, the, the crowd uh, the ice uh, the atmosphere 
uh, definitely one of my favorites. All right. Our fifth and final question of the fast facts. You had some bitter rivals. Uh, you had some major fisticuffs. Who was the guy you hated to play against the most and why? I don't know what it was, but, I, you know, Bridgman on, on Philadelphia, you know, yeah. he was Mel a guy Bridgman. that we just didn't see eye to eye. And so we, we fought regularly. And, and, you know, so one time we go down to Veterans Stadium and, and we were playing a softball game there, a charity softball game. And when we got there, we had to dress in the same locker room, right? And so I noticed that Bridgman sitting across the way and I said, I'm not going to talk to that jerk, you know? And, and so I got my, I'm down like this and I'm tightening my skate or my uh, cleats. And all of a sudden I see a pair of shoes there. And sure, sure enough, it's Mel Bridgman standing right in front of me. He turned out to be the nicest, smartest guys. I mean, he was a Wharton graduate and, and you know, like just a super guy. We go out for a beer after the, the game. And the next game we fought again. Larry's <laughs> <laughs> right back at it. Good for you. Hey, listen, Bob, you've been unbelievably gracious to your time. I have one last memory I would like you to share with us. Uh, and then we'll let you go because you've been gracious. And these, these stories have been fantastic. Um, April 1st, 1995, you're number 23 amongst with other players goes up into the rafters and it's for those watching on the video podcast, the jerseys hanging actually over your right shoulder. What was that Jersey retirement night like for you? Well, I have to tell you, it was uh, absolutely amazing, you know, that, that someone like me, you know, like I feel like a, a journeyman and, and just a hardworking guy gets uh, awarded that tribute. Uh, it, it was absolutely fantastic. The, the thing about it was my family came in and my mom and dad were standing, you know, on the, on the blue line. And, and, and I looked over at my dad and it, it, the buttons were popping off his chest mm -hmm. because he was so proud of me, you know. Um, that, that, that was just an incredible, incredible thing. And to, just to see it up there now and to show the grandkids, uh, it, it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, I thank the Islanders for, for you know, making that tribute to me. Bob, thank you so much for your stories. Thank you for the moments that you gave us. Uh, it's yeah. been amazing, and it's been so great catching up with you, and I'm glad you're doing well. Yeah, no, life is good. Life is good. I, I certainly am enjoying myself, and it's a pleasure to be on with you. Four-time Stanley Cup champion, scored the OT winner to lock up the first cup in New York Islander franchise history, one of the last guys to play without a hockey helmet, Mr. Islander, Bob Nystrom. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7-Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev.
You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.99, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. 